<laughs> Hello there, humans. Love Machine here with an important message about the video before you. This is not the full film of Summer Wars. It is, however, a review for the English dub. If you wish to see the full cybertastic family fest in its animated glory, the film can be purchased on home video and streamed on the internet in North America from Funimation Entertainment. Please support the official release. Sincerely, the I Kicked Cosmos Butt Club. I mean, sincerely, the Dub Talk Podcast. We are excited to have you here for the main event, especially now that we're in the middle of summer. As a standard practice before entering into the podcast before you, we just need you to sign the following user agreement. Solely a formality. <clears throat> the Dub Talk podcast may contain language that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Please verify that you are over 21 below. <laughs> Excellent. Also, spoilers will be present for Summer Wars and any other anime, games, cartoons, etc. being discussed. Please verify that you will not sue if anything you haven't finished yet is brought up. Wonderful. And lastly, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not represent the Dub Talk Corporation as a whole. <laughs> Fantastic. <clears throat> uh, I'm being told that they're trying to kick me out of the program. Uh, and so, without further ado... <laughs> Welcome to the land of Dub Talk. Dub Talk is a virtual reality where all of the voice acting performances that you have heard in your entire lifetime and billions more that you have been meaning to check out but have never had the time to are stored within our digital files, ready to tell you who is the best of the voice acting world and who needs to be sent back to the dungeons. And to uh, kickstart a part of a, a, tr a fabulous tradition here at Dub Talk, we are once again in the middle of our annual Summer at the Movies. Yes, Summer at the Movies, because there are so many great anime films out there. So we take a break from the simul dubs and the backlog of TV shows to talk about the films, the movies, the more high-level prestige productions that Japan has put out, and the fine folks in the English-speaking world who have turned this into a dub for us. Joining me in this digital world is my beloved co-host, Zenith! Hello everybody, I'm Zenith Warrior Princess, and uh, it's been a very long time since I've been on the show. Hello again. <laughs> yeah, so um, do, do you want to tell us um, what, uh, where, where you've been for the past couple of months? Um, well, the, I mean, I think the last episode I was on was Gamers, but the thing is, um, there has been some health issues that I've had in the past. Uh, in the past year, I noticed that I could not breathe, and that my chest started hurting, and it got worse and worse to the point that I got sent to the hospital. So for the past three months, I have been recovering from a very intensive chest surgery, and uh, as of right now, knock on wood, the chest surgery went without a hitch. Um, but because of it, I am now Iron Woman, or as, as we said in our previous attempt at recording this, I am uh, the full metal alchemist, full, full metal lesbian no, no, alchemist. No. You are the full metal lesbian. <laughs> the full metal lesbian. And um, because essentially what they had to do was they opened me up, they took out all my ribs, which were deformed, and they broke them, 
and they put them together with industrial mesh wire and they sewed me back up. So I had a week in the hospital and three months recovering from that. I have not been able to do anything, um, but I'm doing good now. And some of you may notice that my voice is also different. That's because my transition is very much underway. I have been taking vocal training classes for the past, you know, little bit. So, uh, yeah, um, a lot of things have changed, but I'm back. I'm doing, I'm alive. <laughs> no, all changed for the better, too. And I will say on behalf of the many people out there in internet land, congratulations on your recovery and your transition. And I thank everyone for being so helpful and supportive during my time away. I, I did not want to be away as long as I was, but unfortunately... Um, my body decided, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sucks when that happens. I mean, just think about way down in the future, maybe in our lifetime, we'll have the ability to take all of our, our weak meat parts and upload our consciousness to the internet so that we don't have to worry about, you know, malfunctioning body parts anymore. And then I can play Pokemon 24-7. For the rest of eternity. <laughs> the future uh. is coming, people. Embrace it. So with that being said, um, I'm Zenith. I'm back, um, hopefully for good. Um, I don't have any intensive surgeries that are in the future, but uh, I'm back. I'm lesbian, and we're we're good to go. <laughs> and I am Noah, and I am hetero, and I am ready to begin this discussion with my good buddy here because when we uh, decided to uh, decide to talk about summer at the movies for this year, we had some um some traditions that we needed to get through because back in 2017 we discussed mamura hasoda's the boy and the beast last year 2018 we discussed mamura hasoda's wolf children so we decided to keep the mamura hasoda train chugging along and go back into his um filmography with the uh renowned 2011 movie summer wars which many of you might remember as uh, the the spiritual sequel to Digimon Our War Game, um, or as we know it in America, the first part of Digimon the Movie. Uh, a little bit of a history lesson for those of you who don't know. Digimon the Movie, which is the movie that we got in America with the Angela Anaconda bit at the beginning, <laughs> which oh God. that was so weird, um, Digimon the movie is actually comprised of three separate movies. It was Digimon the first movie, and Digimon Our War Game, and then uh, a third one as well. The part that uh, was inside the computer where they were fighting the virus, that was all taken from Digimon Our War Game, which I've covered on my channel. Now, because of how kid-friendly he had to make it for Digimon, and because he wasn't really the true lead on the project, I believe, um, at the time, uh, he decided to redo it and uh, make a much more adult, much more mature film uh, with Summer Wars, which is is Digimon with family. For a very good reason, too. Um, now, for people who in the 90s probably saw Digimon and know that it's uh, very high on the emotions with blending the, uh, the digital world with our world. Um, yeah, this one, the Summer Wars movie, is a mix of that and heavily inspired by the fact that the director, Hasoda, 
was just married uh, right before he started work on this movie. So the sensation of taking a group of strangers and suddenly they are your family, or rather you have become part of their family, was what inspired him to make this movie that uh, boasts over 60 characters, I believe. Not all of them are named characters, but like of the actual characters, people who like get any focus of all, there are about 60 or so in there. And if you're looking at the bottom of the screen there and you're looking at the time that how long this episode is, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, they can't possibly get to all those characters in one podcast. Oh, trust me, we will. Well, oh, you, we are you see, we have the time stone and we're going to use it in order to, to make this podcast longer. No. <laughs> you promised no spoilers for that movie while we're recording. Yeah, well, we ha- that, that's not a spoiler. I know it's not a spoiler, but 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 you're refer- you're indicating towards things that is very hot right now when we are recording this. <laughs> All I'm saying is that I am I am Doctor Strange and I'm going through time and I'm seeing the potential futures, and this is the potential future where the podcast is 16 hours long. Oh God, no, no, we okay. Get me out of that dimension. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that dimension has like ice cream trees and everybody gets their own slushy machine. But I don't want 16-hour podcasts. I, I've got lives to live. I'm sure Lilac and Megan would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just assuming that they are, you know, able to do that in this dimension. I'm sure in that dimension that they are, like, deities of some sort. But anyways, on to the uh, actual <laughs> movie itself that we were talking about. So, Summer Wars. Um, there's this uh, high school kid named Kenji. He's your typical, meek, nerdy, mathematician high school student. But his summer is about to change up when his friend Natsuki, who is a very go-getter girl in their class, uh, invites him out to her family for a reason that she isn't quite telling him yet. Now, the thing you got to know about Natsuki is that she comes from a big family. And I don't just mean your friend in high school who had a couple of brothers and sisters. I mean, she is a member of the Jinauchi clan, this really old family that uh, they claim they have graves going as far back as the... How far back was it? It was like uh, 16 generations is what they say. That's a long time. (laughs) So because of that, uh, Kenji is suddenly thrust into interacting with this huge group of extended family members. Uh, Most prominently, the grandmother, the great-grandma, Sakei, who is experiencing her 90th birthday, which is the reason that he's been brought out here. And also been brought out here because Natsuki has told her whole family that they are actually engaged. Because for some reason, she needs to let her grandma know that she has a boyfriend so that she will be in good hands, I suppose, when she dies. It's It seems to be like a very traditional mentality. But that is how we get this plot moving. And so you think, hey, family shenanigans, that sounds like an okay movie. Oh, if only it stopped there. The real meat of the story begins when basically the internet collapses. Like, like there's a giant AI virus out there called Love Machine that is released onto the reality of Oz, which is this digital world that the entire universe, the entire world is connected by in this story. And because of that, Kenji, the entire Jinuchi family, and the whole world has to get in to defeat this AI before it basically destroys the world, the earth, and all that we hold dear. So we only have 24 hours. <laughs> That's all we got. <laughs> no, and it's a little bit longer than that, but <laughs> it, it, it basically the whole thing, like the main uh, takeover 
takes place over about two days is how long it takes. So we should probably uh, decide that we could talk about the family elements. We could talk about the philosophy of it. We could talk about the great animation, but mainly we're here to talk about the dub. Are you ready, Zen? I was born ready because this is such a good film. Um, my history with this film, actually, I watched this as it aired on Toonami, and uh, then I said to myself, this film is amazing, near perfection, one of the best dubs I've ever heard, and I picked it up on Blu-ray, and it's one of my favorite films. Excellent. I had actually forgotten that they had streamed that on Toonami. It's, I think it's one of the rare times they've streamed an entire movie on the Toonami block. I mean, they used to do it, like, they used to have, like, Akira and stuff way back in the first original Toonami, um, but mm -hmm. uh, when it was revived, they haven't really shown too, too much, but they did show Summer Wars, and that was, like, back at the time where I was watching the Toonami revival, and it was good. It was so good. And I'm, I was really glad that they showed it, too, because my experience with the film goes back a little further than that. I think it was... Uh, Anime Central 2012 was when I first got my hands on a copy of this movie, and it had already been floating around because 2012, you got to keep in mind, was about the time after um, people were kind of looking for the next uh, Hayao Miyazaki. They were looking for like the next big anime director. A couple names were being floated around, um, which, by the way, you should not be trying to find the next Mamoru, uh, the next uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Every director should stand on their own. So uh, Makoto Shinkai was one of the but also was Mamoru Hosoda. And after the success of The Girl Who Left Through Time, Summer Wars was the big one that was making the rounds. And I'm like, I've got to see this. I got a copy of it and really liked it. I would probably call it my second favorite of his films right behind Wolf Children. I now haven't seen Wolf Children yet, so I, I will reserve judgment, but this is one of my favorite that he's done. And I love The Girl Who Left Through Time. So this that's saying a lot. Sweet. All right, then. So, for the man's sophomore solo theatrical film, we're not going to quite count Digimon or the One Piece movies. His second solo film. Let's get into it. So, Funimation uh, picked up this one. So, um, we're going to be talking about a lot of your favorite Texas actors. Like, so like God's Will? Is God's yeah. Will in this movie? Yes. Actually, my entire, yes, my entire list of credits here is just God's Will. He directed it. He wrote it. He played all the voices. He did the music. All, all of it. It's just, that's, this is the God's Will episode. Just, just saying we love you, God's Will. We love you, God's Will. <laughs> so, uh, for, um, for In This Reality, who actually directed it, this was directed by Mike McFarland, who, um, is a name that you've probably heard a lot because he's directed a lot of high-profile shows and movies for Funimation. You probably have heard of uh, a little thing called the Blood Blockade Battlefront. You've heard of uh, a little indie show called Tokyo Ghoul. And <laughs> going back to our Mamoru Hosoda discussion, he also directed The Boy and the Beast. Um, uh, to, to give an idea of how long he's been there, though, he also directed the dub for an old show called Kodacha, which, if you know your anime history, that... That is a Cell animated series from back in the 90s from the guy who directed the original Fruits Basket anime. So, yeah, Mike's been around for a long time. He's been in the game for a while, and he's directed some of my favorite dubs. Um, obviously, Blood Blockade Battlefront is one of my top picks for, like, best modern dubs. So, so when I say he's a good director, he is a good director. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that out, because, yeah... 
um, his, his cohort in writing this was one Patrick Seitz. Now, I already can hear Zen over there be like, I know that name, and how do you know Patrick Seitz? You thought it would be Patrick Seitz, but it was I, Dio. <laughs> yes, the man who is known all over the world for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is not just an amazing voice actor, he's also a prolific writer as well. He's and he's good for- at dropping steamrollers on people. I don't... See, if, if that's a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure reference, I <laughs> don't know it because i haven't gotten that far into the show yet um he's known for the world see i know that part and i haven't even i it's a very popular show let's just put it that way (laughs) but on top of uh he also he wrote for jojo's bizarre adventure he wrote the script for that he wrote the script for gamers he wrote the script for your lie in april and along with mike directing he also wrote the script for the boy and the beast as we discussed in the, uh, uh, I think a future episode or a past episode, um, the Japanese staff was so impressed with the dub for Summer Wars that they insisted that the same team be brought back to dub both Wolf Children and The Boy and the Beast, which is exactly what happened. So both Mike and Patrick, uh, this is where they got their start in being the renowned people to cover Mamoru Hosoda films. And so honestly, and- I love their work. Um, I have loved every one of Patrick Seitz's scripts because I think he does a great job of of towing the perfect line between uh, taking a little liberation with jokes with while being super, super faithful, and it always pays off, and this team together just does fantastic work. I love... Um, I loved what I saw of Your Lie in April from the, the premiere. I unfortunately didn't get to see much of it, but I loved what I saw of it. It made my, like... It, when we actually got to meet Patrick Seitz, um, and it, it, you know, we got to see his work in action, and it made my hair stand on end just how good it was. And uh, yeah, like these are two of the top people that I would ask, I, w- I would want to do this, and yeah, top notch. Wow, that is high praise. Because you, you got to go to the... It was at Anime Boston where they had the premiere for Your Line April, wasn't it? Yes, I went to Anime Boston. I unfortunately had to leave because other friends wanted me to do something. And it was it was stupid. But anyway, um, I saw the entire like first episode. And I met Patrick Seitz. And he uh, he tried to kill uh, the, the stuffed Iggy plush. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear about that. <laughs> And, um, and, but we got to see his work in action, um, alongside the Japanese, like, director and whatnot, because they were there. Um, it was just a fantastic experience. Really, really good. Sweet. And I'm glad that you pointed out, um, his, uh, the liberal use of writing some of the jokes, because when you're adapting a theatrical film like this, where, uh, the Japanese audio is always recorded with a group if you know anything about japanese voice acting so to get that same feel in an english dub where a lot of the voice actors record individually so they don't have the chemistry of each other in the room um you have to have a lot of good back and forth amongst the characters and both mike's directing and patrick's writing does really well on that in summer wars um, one thing I want to point out, just, just a little, little taste of how good this overall production is, there's a lot of scenes where there's background audio of characters talking that it's really leg- 
not legible, isn't listenable. Um, like you can't make out the conversations, but you can definitely tell that they're filling in that audio to give that nice full family talking atmosphere that you get if you've been to like big family get-togethers before where there's like third cousins and cousins twice removed what does that even mean (laughs) and all all that background noise going on the way that mike directs this and patrick wrote this uh definitely captures that sense of chemistry characters talking off each other a lot of jokes and making fun of each other but still being loving to each other um there's like a scene where they're sitting around eating which is the part where they for the most part, get the best dialogue going back and forth. There's, like, scenes where one of the characters are, like, super pissed off, and the other characters are joking around with them, and there's laughs, there's hugs, there's crying. Oh, God, is there crying in this movie? So every... Yeah, sorry, we go ahead. It reminds me so much of my big Italian family, because I've been to family gatherings like this every Christmas and Easter and and Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. We have these big family gatherings, and, like, we'll have... You know, maybe 25, 30 people in one house just all talking. And, and you know, uh, when someone busts, busts in, it's like, wait a second, she has a boyfriend? Cousin Shota disapproves. And it's like, <laughs> I I know, like, I've had family gatherings like this. And it's just so heartwarming because I relate to it very hard. And that's probably something that we haven't, like, I don't know about you, but I can't really point to any medium that really captured that sense. Like, there's a lot of maybe something like my big fat greek wedding is like that but nothing that's quite this uh, something like this in animation that i've seen before yeah not not in animation um maybe a couple of like the big family movies like father of the bride does come to mind um but it it's very few and far between because you have to have a big family and unless you're greek or italian um, like that's kind of dying <laughs> out these days, and even then, my family's doing the link too. So, right. <laughs> I mean, it can, I mean, um, for the to give a, a sense of this, how this family works, um, there is a core group of the family is still living in the part of the country where this movie takes place in, but everybody else is kind of like traveling in from around the country. So, uh, it's definitely a big family, and but it's a rarity that they get the whole family together. So. It's, I think that's why a lot of the chemistry also works, because it's like these people who don't see each other all the time, but when they do, it's just like great chemistry amongst each other. Mm-hmm. It, they, they work off each other so well, and that that's what a family dynamic is like. I, I remember we had a funeral one time, and I got to see a whole bunch of family members I hadn't seen in years, and it was like we had never left, you know? It's, it's just yeah. one of those things. Yeah, you can just pick up where you left off. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, they Patrick's writing captures that. Mike directing the twenty plus characters that are on screen at the same time captures that. And uh, a particular note: not just the family scenes where there's a lot of people talking, but there are a couple of really notable quiet scenes too, where uh, there's like maybe just two characters talking to each other. And in those, we also get a depth of emotions being conveyed just from single lines of dialogue. There's one character who. Um, comes back Um, we'll talk about him a bit he comes back he's been like exiled out of the family for a while and in one line grandma sakai says to him have you eaten yet that single delivery conveys such a sense of condescension at maybe him not having good life choices while simultaneously concerned for how well he's been taking care of himself it's those little touches like that that are the strength of the original japanese 
and are well conveyed from the translation into the English. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when it comes to her speech near the end, where she she writes the letter to um uh to the uh, the black sheep of the family as it were and it's just mm-hmm. like you could tell she, while she was stern she always loved him and wanted the best for him even though she she was ready to fight him with a spear when he dishonored <laughs> the family the, the granny's badass she is such a bad she is up there on the list of gr- badasses with granny from looney tunes and i don't have a second opinion i don't have a out here but yeah there's she's definitely the most badass grandma you've ever seen (laughs) so in that sense we uh we will begin to talk about these characters so um yeah so mike and patrick excellent work on this one there's a reason that the japanese cast said we need these guys to direct the english dub for all of our movies going forward Mm -hmm. all right so let's get into the meat of this so how are we going to discuss such a big family normally on dub talk we discuss characters in terms of relevance, we start with the least relevant and go all the way up to the main characters. We can't quite do that with this because it would be confusing and everyone has pretty much equal importance. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start with uh, the three kids of Granny Sakai. We're going to start with basically, okay, so you got Granny, the 90-year-old whose birthday is coming. She and her husband, who we'd never meet, had... A couple of kids and we're going to talk about those three kids right now because each of those three kids has their own family so we'll talk about those individual families as we go along hopefully that will help making discussing this a little bit easier and also if you have seen this movie but were confused about who was related and how hopefully this will help you out a little bit all right you ready then i believe i am ready all right all right let's discuss the first three okay so granny's kids first we have mansika who is um, the doctor of the family. He is the one who is keeping an eye on Granny. Um, his avatar is like a Dr. Mario pill with a, th- a stethoscope on it. Um, <laughs> and he is actually the youngest of the kids. So we have him. We have Aunt Mariko, who is the first one that we see uh, when we get to the house. Um, <laughs> you, if you've seen the movie, her line is like, uh, th- thank you for the happy birthday wishes, but it's my mom's birthday. Yes. Do I look 90? <laughs> I, I love that. I love that so much because I would be, I would so be the person to accidentally do that. You, you think you're being polite, but nope, you just called a 70-year-old woman 90. <laughs> you look very good for your age. <laughs> and she took it so well, too. <laughs> so. And then, last, we have uh, Mansuke, who is the uh, gruff-bearded, blonde-haired guy with a boat. Like he, he is the one who comes in, and the first thing he's got to show everyone, I've got squid! And more squid! And for dessert, more squid! Isn't he the guy who teaches uh, martial arts to the other kid? And he also is the one who is a sensei to a character who we'll talk about later, because he taught him Shaolin Kung Fu. Which so, is uh, awesome. We've got a, a trio of pretty unique and self-sustaining characters in this whole group. So let's talk about them. Monsaku, Doctor, is played by Barry Ondell. Now, if that name doesn't sound familiar, you've definitely heard him before. He is Zarabu, I'm sorry, Zaruba in Garo, the entire franchise. He is Yayamaru in Seven Samurai. And he is none other than God in Love Tyrant. For Aunt Mariko, we have Shelley Colleen Black, 
And she, something I didn't realize until I looked into her cast list, but she actually mostly does dubbing work at Sentai Filmworks instead of Funimation, as hmm. evidenced by her role in shows as Kyo in Clanad, Henrietta in Log Horizon, and Lula in Red Garden. So um, this is a very interesting case where we got uh, players from all over the dubbing world. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to our lead character. And finally, for Monsuke, we have the illustrious John Swayze. It's a gruff-sounding guy who you've definitely heard as Zoroku in Alice and Zoroku. Uh, Zen's going to know this one. He's Grandpa Senzaimon in Food Wars, the guy whose shirt rips open when he... <laughs> yes, you've made guy. You've made me take my shirt off. <laughs> That's the guy. And tying back into the Mamoru Hosoda filmography, he is Kumatetsu, the beast himself in The Boy and the Beast. I have to imagine that the Japanese people saw his role in this movie and thought, hey, that guy, he should be Kumatetsu in Boy and the Beast, if they had any say in this whatsoever. I mean, it is very fitting. Um, and it, to be perfectly frank... I love John Swayze the most out of this group because he's very good at not just being the happy-go-lucky gruff guy, but being very down-to-earth and understanding. And have he has this tone about him that can really switch between, all right, we need to be serious now, and I brought squid. <laughs> he's just the jolly green giant of anime characters. <laughs> um, and he just gets it across so damn well. The... I, I'll say that Shelly and Barry do very good jobs, but I think Monske stands out the most simply because of the performance, and it, he does get a little bit more focus because he helps m out more in the film. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Monsaku is the doctor, and he has a big role, but um, I, I just, I've always loved John Swayze the most out of this group simply because of the heart he brings to this character. Even though he's uh, sometimes his heart is bigger than his head in instances where he um, he basically is the first one to shout out, we're going to destroy this AI computer and we're going to dedicate uh, the memory of our relatives to the defeat here. Like he's ready to go to war over a computer virus. Then again, he's the one who's always obsessed with like war and battles and tells stories of of how the clan did this and that and the in back in the whatever period and yep. that's the kind of like that's the kind of old person i really like because he's not obsessed with history but he understands it and he uses it to help out in the future and i love how he uses that um to teach you know kung fu and stuff like that so it's yeah. <laughs> it's really valuable in this movie yeah the, yeah the, i good point you brought up that um uh, one of the stories of their family, the Genucci family, is that they, they managed to defeat an army that was way bigger than they were just by leading them into, leading the enemy into a trap that basically meant that they had nowhere to retreat so the, they could, you know, shoot them like fish in a barrel and yay, go Genucci. And they actually use that strategy in the movie. And it comes back to help them in the movie, tying it all together. Yeah, this <laughs> is a really well-written movie. A lot of connections there. Uh, Bar yeah, Barry Ondell's uh, voice is fittingly pervy when he needs to be, because he's the, the perverted guy who says, So, Ken Kenji, 
You've, uh, you've knocked up, uh, our relative, right? That's why you're here, right? Because you got her in a family way, right? <laughs> pushes up glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. is very good in the role. Yeah, Bar- yeah, Barry's fitting for that. Like, I don't like it when, uh, dubbing studios get, um, younger actors to try to be older, because it's not always very convincing. There are some exceptions, like Damon Mills sounded really old in uh, Yuri on Ice, but in instances like this where you have an old character, you need a voice that has that age and weather to it, and Barry definitely brings that. Um, he never loses his cool either. He, he's got this... Um, uh, this uh, he, it's not that he doesn't give a damn, it's that he's very super focused on exactly what's going on and doesn't let it get to him. Um, there's instances where like the world is coming apart because of the of love machine destroying the world and everyone's freaking out about, I, I ordered just the right amount of red and white steamed buns for everyone. And he's nonchalantly reading the paper and it's like, probably won't even get here, problem solved. <laughs> like that was a very necessary laugh to get out of a situation where the whole world was crumbling. <laughs> And we won't have the buns for the funeral. Uh, there's a little bit bigger priorities. I I love how the uh, the 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 uh, Mariko side of the family is all focused on like making the dinner and not about saving the world. Oh, trust me. If you you probably I mean you come from an Italian family, you know relatives like that that are like the first thing is not save the world. It's make sure that this family get together is flawless. Yeah, it's always like, you have to do this, we have to get this ready. I'm like, I just want to eat good food. Why do you have to stress out about it? It's all about the company, right? Yeah, yeah, as long as you're with good family, with good people, like the message of this film, as long as you have family, nothing else matters. That is true. To give credit, though, to um, to Shelley Colleen Black, um, she's got this very worn-down attitude, like, not that she's, like, d- not enthusiastic, because she's very enthusiastic, but she's definitely got a maternal enthusiasm to her that helps complement the um, her two brothers, um, because they're, they're more focused on saving the world, but she's focused on, you know, um, keeping the family together and keeping traditions alive, which is also valuable. I think in this particular film, we may not appreciate it as much just because of priorities, but there is an... It's I, I mean, there's a giant missile going for your house, dudes. <laughs> and what does she go for when the missile's coming down? Like, did you see what she grabbed out of the house? She grabs the, the samurai helmet, of all things. We have to preserve the history. <laughs> I can't blame her for that, but it's like, of all the things you could have grabbed, not like one of the kids or the dog, like, nope, the samurai helmet. It's okay, we can have more kids. No, trust me, we don't need any more. So yeah, so for these three, they cover very different uh, types of kids. They were obviously raised by the same parents, but they turned out very differently in terms of like where their priorities are. One is chill as a doctor, the other is... uh, like a good matriarch and the other one is just he didn't he never quite grew up he, he still thinks he's like 25 and and he acts like it too like he's this big friendly old man like yeah i think in every family there's one of the these like super cool chill like guy in his 60s who's who has like a sports car or something like that who's just <laughs> the chillest mofo of all time you know it you you know he would if he wasn't spending it on the boat <laughs> that you would have a sports car. It's like, you know, it's a flashy boat. 
<laughs> but the, the dude beats the AI with a DS. Did you see that? Yes, he does. And that was uh, fucking they, badass. They do some badass stuff, and I love the product placement because like everyone has like game systems. <laughs> There's a lot of DSs. I mean, I have to assume they got they got permission to have that in there because it's not just like a knockoff, like the buttons and the design, and everything. Like it's very clear what it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that is our three main characters. Uh, so I'm like, we don't have any qualms with them. Uh, they fill those roles very well. Uh, what do you say we talk about their individual families, shall we? Yes. Let us go down the family tree. All right. Let's do this. All right. So first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about Aunt Mariko's family with a bit of a caveat. So Aunt Mariko has two kids, and we meet both of them in the movie. We meet Rika Jinouchi, and we meet Richie Jinouchi. And you've seen them in the movie. They they show up right near the beginning on a motorcycle. They're on a motorcycle is being driven by Richie, and Rika is the one who tosses the helmet back to him. And she's also very valuable in research because she is a member she like she works for the government or something like that but those are at mariko's kids um because we have one more space in this section to talk about we're also going to talk about one other character and that is yukiko um yukiko is actually the daughter of one other kid of sakai who we never see because we talked about sakai's three kids there was a fourth one who I, we assume passed away before the movie started because we never see them. But that kid did have one daughter, and that was Yukiko. And Yukiko is the mother of Natsuki, the main girl in this movie. So if you're wondering like how Natsuki is tied to all of this, Natsuki's grandfather or grandmother, we don't know, died before this movie started but we do see her mother so mm-hmm. that so we're, we're lumping her into this part of the category so yeah i'm sorry go ahead um i think they all do a good job the thing is these three aren't as important as the other three they have their roles but they're more background than the others and i think they do suitably well um like they they do their jobs very you know they they perform um, just as well as the other cast, there's just not a lot of them to really discuss. That is true, and that is why we'll focus a little less on these ones. But to give them their due credit, Rika is voiced by Cynthia Krantz. Um, if, again, if you haven't heard that name before, you have definitely heard her. And so, like, where have you heard her before? You have heard her in... Let me pull this up really quickly. All right. You have heard her as Pharaoh in Gunslinger Girl. You've heard her as Bellamere in One Piece. Ah, uh, Belmare. Bel- is it Belmare? I'm sorry. Belmare. Belmare in One Piece. And for all you pervs out there, she is Torino in Valkyrie Drive. If you haven't seen that one, Zen, it, it's a it's a fan service fiesta. Are there Obviously. lesbians? I'll there watch- are so. Oh God, are there lesbians? I'll watch it if there's lesbians. Oh God, we gave okay, we gave her a new thing to watch. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, uh, her brother Ricci who is, I should point out, is in the self-defense force, and he is very valuable later on in the movie, although he never tells us what he does in the self-defense force. That's classified information. Uh, I'm sorry, that's classified. <laughs> oh, God, are you pulling a Haruhi Suzumiya reference on us? That's classified, and yes, oh, I God. am. <laughs> God. All right, so playing the classified is Chuck Hubert. Um, he's been in. He's been around for a while, actually. He's. If you've seen Initial D, which you should, he plays Yuichi. 
if you've seen Junie Tyson, he plays the dog. Um, but but I'm assuming this crowd here is more of the shonen-y type of listener, so you've probably heard her heard him in a little indie project called Soul Eater as Dr. Frankenstein, the guy with the big bolt in his head. Also known as Hiei in Yu Yu Hakusho, also known as mm-hmm. the devil in Bakuno. He plays the devil really well. Yeah, yeah, he's such a nice, good-natured devil. Like he's a good Gabriel. devil. <laughs> he is. <laughs> and to round out, we'll give a little discussion to Yukiko's voice actress, who is Anastasio Munez. Such a fun name to say. Anastasia Munoz, I believe. Anastasia Munoz. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I was supposed to put a tilde over one of the letters so I knew how to pronounce it, but I forgot to do that. (laughs) But um, you've heard her as Kyo in Bento. You've heard her as Minerva in Fairy Tale. And you've heard her as Azusa in Shiki, which is a scary show that Lilac keeps telling me I need to watch. Yeah, everyone's saying that. I actually haven't seen much of the fairy tale dub, so um, I haven't seen any of her roles in those, but I've heard her name before, so I should know. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you have any impressions about her, I believe, two lines of dialogue in this movie? I, I She performed them quite admirably. admirably. Like, they all have a, a role in this, but a lot of her role is, let's get things done in, in the background, you know? It's... It, she doesn't go to the foreground, and I think she did no. well for that. Well, her her main contribution to this is that she's the one who's stuck in traffic when the whole internet collapses. Um, yep. She's the one whose GPS is broken. Yep, and and like there, there's a lot of family members that are on their way, which is why like yeah. uh you know the the government people and the, the, there's people we'll talk about later like the firefighter and the the rescue worker, like they're stuck outside of the action while doing stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah. for for that one line, I agree. Anastasio did it very well. Um, it like I could have seen them maybe giving her a more spastic or um, freaked out at, uh, voice to it because, uh, as she said, it was wall to wall traffic. But no, she gave it a more calm down and don't worry, I'll get there when I get there kind of mentality, which is good because everyone else is freaking out. So it was kind of nice we had at least one character who was. Like, just go with the flow, K-Sara-Sara kind of voice. Mm-hmm. As, that was for uh, Cynthia and Chuck. Actually, let me talk about Chuck, because um, he his character is very prominent. Uh, he doesn't say too much, although uh, he gives us a lot of insight because he's the one on the motorcycle who uh, is basically implies this whole thing, this whole love machine thing, might be terrorism. Yeah, he's he's the, he's the one who finds out like basically kind of what's going on and explains it to the family. And it's a very Chuck Huber role. Like I I think he does a good job in in making it um very hush hush. I'm a government person. It's classified. I can't tell you, but I'm gonna tell you. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's sharp and it's low and it's very yeah it's uh, very commanding. So the, the kind of guy who I would follow into battle. Like, if that guy was leading the charge, I'd feel confident in going along. I would I would go along with him. I mean, he has a cool-ass motorcycle. He's hot. <laughs> He's got a Milliman band antenna module. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I, it's, uh, I'm assuming it's useful. It's also because of their connections that they can get access to a lot of technology that they shouldn't have. Yeah, a couple of family members have that, and we'll get into that also in a bit. But yeah, the fact that he has technology that he's not really allowed to tell us about, 
is uh, pretty uh, is useful because if we didn't have that, we might not have been able to have uh, survived this war. <laughs> so, but uh, of the three, my favorite is definitely Cynthia. Um, she gets the most. Uh, she's the screechiest of the of the female characters. But mm -hmm. it's all played for comedy. Um, yep. like she's the one who, who rides in on her bicycle and says, Natsuki, your boyfriend's a con artist. <laughs> I checked the directory. His family's not old. In fact, his dad's just a random office worker. He probably can't even find the U.S. on a map. I love, I love her role so much. And yeah, like it's mostly comedic relief. But it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> Is she... I know someone like that, like, researching everything about your boyfriend, like, oh, this two-timing son of a... I'm going to get him. I'm going to find out everything. Let me check his Facebook page. Oh, God. <laughs> if, if only it stopped there for this woman. <laughs> yeah, so for, for what they needed to fill, I'll agree, these three characters filled them very well. Yep. I'm trying to find qualms with any of this, but the thing that I'm finding as we go more into this is that Everyone uh, has a distinct enough voice that you can, for the most part, be able to tell the difference between them. Not just in the way that they talk, but also the way that they act. So mm -hmm. that is that's high props for this dub, especially from a cast of character of actors who are already really well talented. Shows really good direction as well. So good job, Mike, and good job, Cynthia, Chuck, and Anastasia. Good job. All right, so we have covered the Mariko side of the family. Let's move on to another sibling's family, shall we? All right. All right, so remember you were talking about badass kung fu grandpa before. Let, let's talk about his family a little bit, Deb. Let's talk about Uncle Monsuke's family. Kung fu grandpa's family. Yes, let's do that. So uh, Monsuke had three, uh, three children, and of those three... Um, Two of them have had children. We're going to talk about one of those children here. So we'll have four characters to talk about here. The first one we're going to talk about is Kiyomi. Kiyomi is the uh, very pregnant mother in this movie. <laughs> uh, she's, the, she's the mother of Kazuma. Um, mm -hmm. And she's, she's got the more um, deeper, lower voice. Um, doesn't get as much uh, prevalence in the fight against Love Machine. But she definitely uh, is very necessary in fleshing out Cosma's character. So I'm glad that we have her. Um, we also have Naomi, who has probably the most dynamic design of any of the characters. She's the redheaded one who we find out is actually divorced. Uh, that's why she has a different last name. Her last name is Miwa. Um, but she's uh, she has a very sharp, biting attitude. But, uh, you know, she, she looks good. I'll give her that. <laughs> and, and, the, and the last uh, son of Matsuke is Tasuke who is the uh, very big-lipped, kind of larger character who, um, I, I'm trying to think, what did he bring to the fight again? He he brought something important. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, right. Uh, what was it? A Teraflop supercomputer. Yeah. He brought one of the best computers in the entire world. Why can't I have one of those? I need I, for streaming. <laughs> I could just see that now. And hello, guys. Welcome to Zenith's stream. Um, here you will see my Serial Experiments Lane-style supercomputer so we can play this game. And now you'll see that everyone can actually listen in without any delays. This is my Super Mega Ultra computer, which can play two games at once. Yeah. While I render I, a video. 
I, I'd like to think that uh, maybe it was a little bit more necessary that we use that technology to defeat a mutant AI trying to destroy the internet. But but I have to win in a no, video no, no, game. No, 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 we'll do that after this. Oh. Mm. Oh, speaking speaking mm. of being uh, speaking of uh, winning the game, uh, Tasuke has a son who we see in this movie. Um, he is a bit of a whiny asshole. His name is Shota, and he is the police officer who just barges into the movie shouting, Boyfriend? Natsuki got a boyfriend? Cousin Shota objects. Damn it, I was too slow. Cousin Shota is the best because he's the bubbling buffoon, and everything that comes out of his mouth is is so funny. Like, he's the one who arrests uh, the, the main character. <laughs> When he thinks he's the one, and and, and he, like the whole time he's just like, yeah, this will teach you ideas for 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 dating Natsuki. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's um yeah he's a necessary pain in the ass for the movie. So he's a, uh, he's that, a well-meaning bumbling buffoon, and I love him. I don't even know if he's well-meaning. Sometimes I think like maybe he's not thinking in general, and that's his problem. He's a little but, but, bit ditzy, a little yeah. blonde. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, before the actors for this one. So, for Monsuke's family, Kiyomi is voiced by Jennifer Seaman. And she has one of my favorite voices of this entire uh, show here. Um, you have heard her as Ryoko in Shangri-La. You've heard her as Akaginu in Basilisk. Um, but I know her best as the narrator for the show Mushishi. She's got this very... Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I have this... seen Mushishi. Yeah, she's got this lull, deep, uh, otherworldly voice to her, and for she gets a handful of lines in this one, and she uses that deep world voice for maternal effect on this one. Yeah, so. she has a very good uh, presence in the film, if nothing else. Like, it's just soothing. Very so Thank you, that's a good word for it. Let me put that down. Soothing. Thank you. All right, um, on the opposite end of soothing, we have Naomi's voice actress, who is Lydia Mackey. Now, Lydia has uh, a wide range of roles, uh, such as Kaneko in Blood Sea, Rey in Dead Man Wonderland, Boa in One Piece, and Sis in Eden of the East. Ah, Boa Hancock. Boa Hancock. Again, you're... You're much more into the franchise than I will ever be, so I'm going to have you as my guide for who the characters are that I'm mentioning. Let me put it to you this way. Boa Hancock is the most beautiful woman in the world in the One Piece universe. So. And that's saying a lot for that franchise, isn't it? Considered. I mean, there's there's characters that have come later that I think are hotter, but it originally considered the most beautiful woman in One Piece. Understood. Um, for Tasuke, we have John Bergmeier, a good, uh, good boy. And I say good boy because, to me, his most famous role is Shigure in Fruits Basket, the dog character. He's also Ten in Dragon Ball, and he is Kurama in Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, he, he is one of my favorite pretty boys. Yeah, he is a very pretty boy. You know, if... If I wasn't so gay, I would totally jump him because he's hot. It's not too late to switch to the bi wagon. I mean, there are times I say that, but then again, I don't think Ari would like that. No, I. Tell you, we'll just trim this part out here so she doesn't have to hear that. Scooby, moving on here, and for Shota we have Mike McFarland. Um, I, I don't know if you've you've ever heard. Have you heard the name Mike McFarland before? 
Um, I, I, I mean, didn't think so. No, I mean, I, there's some guy named Seth McFarland that I've heard of, but not Mike. Oh, you are so lucky. You are many, many states away from me because I would, I would not settle for that. No, no, I've heard Mike oh, McFarland. You, you, <laughs> you, you hit, you hit my pain button there. You, you no, mean Mike you mean, McFarland? You mean Todd McFarland? No, no, I mean Seth McFarland. I, I do not like Family Guy. I do, I do not no, like. No, I, I know, I know. Oh, again, people, people, so lucky that there are, she is so lucky there are multiple states between us. Oh, my God. Anyways, uh, but we were talking about Mike. Mike's been in a few indie shows, um, like uh, he's Gene in a show called Attack on Titan. He's uh, Deldro in Blood Black A Battlefront. Yes, and, yes, I yeah. love Deldro. I could just see you jumping up and down over in your seat right now. And and, and also, to, for, for all you Shonen fans out there, because you would probably murder me if I didn't mention Master Roshi from Dragon Ball as probably Mike's most famous role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, the Monsuke family. Um, for for such a over-the-top guy as Monsuke, how do we feel about his three kids and his grandson, Shota? I think they all have very distinct voices and personalities, and that's very hard in a family this big. But the thing is, because Monsuke is the the standout for me it, it only stands that their voices would stand out more to me too uh, i think all of these do great obviously cousin shota mike mcfarland is is extremely <laughs> wonderful in his role i love 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 what he brings to the table it's Ex- extremely comedic very distinct um and the rest of them are very uh much you know standout family members like you, you know the family members when you're talking and you can definitely hear them in the background and pick them out of the crowd? These are mm-hmm. these people. These are the people who, like, they're loud and boisterous, but they're also very kind-hearted and generous, and I think all of them bring that energy to the table. Hello? Oh, there you are. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I finished what I was saying. No, okay. No, I no, I heard that, but I thought it had cut out for a second. Anyway, yeah. we'll just trim this part out. <clears throat> yeah, with the um, with the range of characters that we have here, it, it really makes me think that um, uh, the writer for this or the director or whoever was working on this, like, just pulled personalities from their own family members and you know just kind of stuck them in this movie. I'm I'm sure there's a relative of um, Mamoru Hosoda who's watching the movie, going like, "Man, that character looks and feels and acts a lot like me." Wait a minute. <laughs> Um, I, I definitely, uh, I think Jennifer's uh, voice, like her naturally rich, full voice, is so fun to listen to here. And the fact that we get to hear it here for uh, like a very comforting and then at other times very worried voice really uh, drives home a lot of the emotional points of this movie. Like she's the one who is really concerned about the end of the world coming and she's like, this, this can't be happening. It's just a game, right? And that, that really drives home a lot of, I think, how we were all feeling about the internet coming to an end. Like, some of us may think, no, that's not going to be anything about the real world. But no, this is very much the end of the real world in a very real way. So so they're not airing the real world anymore? That's a tragedy. <laughs> wow, again, you are just hitting all the pain points tonight. <laughs> I, I, could, I could get on a helicopter right now and be over at your front door in... Okay, it may take a couple of hours, but I'll be there. Well, I have an attack cat ready to jump you, and and she's vicious. Oh, bring it on. (laughs) Bring it. 
<laughs> I kid, I kid. It's okay. I'll take you out for ramen. Actually, okay, actually, and I will be there. But before do, let's finish this podcast before we do that. <laughs> Lydia, um, Lydia's design, her entire redheaded spinster design, uh, as they actually call her, um, would I would think would lead to a more um, a more sinister, cynical kind of character. But she's not. She's like a fashionista kind of person uh, with her, and that goes with the way that Lydia portrays her as well. She's got a very full and round feminine voice that sounds different from a couple of the other characters we talk about who are more um, housewives. Um, and, and that's not meant to be an insult. Like, I mean, actually, like, they got the personality of people who are focused on their kids, who keep the house running, like, really doing the hard work that goes underappreciated. And Lydia's Naomi is, like, the opposite of that. You know, she's more of the, I'm still young, I still want to live, I'm still in the prime of my life kind of moment, which is the way she was written, and Lydia portrays that very well. By contrast, John Bergmeier's Tasuke is the most normal-sounding voice. Not the most sound- normal character, but the most normal-sounding voice of all the characters in the whole thing. She, he's got the most straight voice, and that kind of makes it uh, contrast to the fact that he's lugging around supercomputers for the government. <laughs> it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, you have this unassuming guy who's like, you know, he's just like this larger-looking guy, and he, he's got access to supercomputers. Like, what the heck? Well, I mean, I don't tell you everything that I do. I have hobbies. <laughs> and then we have the best housewife ever, Noah Clue. <laughs> Aw. Hey, I, I bake a mean shepherd's pie. I, I, I would cook for you every night if I could. Your sweets are amazing, and you are a wonderful father. Aw, thank you. You, you know, I, I don't pay you, right? Like, sucking up's not going to get you a higher pay grade. You let me say hi to your cute daughter, so that that was payment enough. That is true. I, you know, I do have to come over there sometime. I have to come over to your neck of the woods just so we can visit. You should come over and say hi, and uh, my my cat can attack you. We can have ramen, and then I can tell you how uh, you 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 need to settle down with a good woman <laughs> and have more kids. You are, you are so lucky, Jennifer. Can't hear you right now. <laughs> I, I kid. I kid. <laughs> okay, kidding just like family does sometimes, right? Like that's how, yep. That's how the family works out. Um, and as uh, I'm going to agree with everything you said about Mike McFarland as Shoda, he's just this just a constant ball of insecurity. And I, it's the kind of voice that doesn't sound like Mike's normal speaking voice, which is impressive that he can keep it going throughout the whole thing. There's a couple of lines where he dips down into his non-screechy voice, like where he's uh, he took all the ice and he's putting it out for Granny. So that oh she's my God, cool. that part! <laughs> oh I've, God, he he doomed the world. I felt so bad because he was only meaning well because it was the hottest day ever, and he didn't want her to like, you know, be sicker than she already was and die. Yeah, I, God, that was awful. Yeah, who who wants who wants her to uh, get any worse than she already is? But I'm pretty sure that uh, that was written into the show so that he could. Um, be given like some semblance of redemption mm-hmm. and you know rightly so you know he's just doing his job so yeah mike's portrayal of that is like he got to be fun and cartoonish and it's a lot of fun to listen to so i think uh, we, we've covered the monske family uh, there's one more monske character who of course we'll talk about near the end but for now i think we're ready to move on shall we yes let us continue all right, this is the huge batch right here, because uh, we've covered two of the Jinuchi kids. Now we're going to talk about the one who has the biggest family of them all. 
Uncle Monsaku, the doctor, had three sons, and each of those three sons has their own family. So, in order to keep this nice and concise, we are going to talk about those three sons and their respective wives, who... The wives get way more development in the movie because they're the ones who are at the house helping to get ready for the big party while their husbands are working, but we'll give a little bit of focus here. So let me just go over the whole thing in order here, and then we'll talk about it. So we have Katsuhiku Jinauchi, played by Christopher Sabat. He is a policeman. And his wife, Yumi, played by Monica Rial. Uh, you know Yumi because she's the one who is cheering for their son's baseball game throughout the entire movie. Yes, yes, she is one of the the fun characters. She is very fun character. She she she's like peak aunt is the way I look at her. All right. Also, we have Kinahiko Jinouchi, played by Patrick Seitz. He is like a police sergeant or not police a uh, fire chief sergeant. Um. So yeah, he's also in the fire department. And his wife Nana Jinouchi. She is the um. She's the one with blonde hair, and she's much more chill than any of the other wives that we meet. Um, like, she's got a more demure personality. And lastly, we have Yorihiko Jinouchi, played by Robert McCollum. He is the one who is in the ambulance. He's an EMT for the city. And his wife, Noriko Jinouchi, played by Colin Clinkenbeard. Um, she ha- she's the darker-haired, frizzy-haired one who is, like, part of the squad who is helping to get ready for the party and also taking care of things after the whole world basically just is going crazy. So mm-hmm. that is our quint. Wait, what is six? I know quintet is five. What's six? Let's. Septuplets? Septuplets? Septuplets. Maybe? I, I don't know. I don't know, kids. The, the six full. The six full the characters we'll talk about here. All right, so Zen, I'm going to have you go first. So, any major thoughts about any of the characters? You don't have to talk about all of them if you don't have thoughts about them, but like anything that really stood out to you. Um, the thing is, with these characters, uh, three of them are away. Like, the EMT, the firefighter, and the cop are are off doing their own thing, and they get brief well, the, moments. But, well, they're, they're both uh, firefighters. I'm sorry. One of them's not a cop. They're both firefighters. That's their job. Okay. Yeah, so, so those three are away for most of it, although they do come in later. And the wives, um, aside from <laughs> the, the soccer mom, is, is, is off, <laughs> like, prepared. She, she's a soccer mom. And honestly... I think the soccer mom is probably my favorite out of this group simply because she has the, the, the more fun role and it brings out so much uh, joy to that role. And I think she stands out the most. The rest of them do a great job. It's just their roles are very small and it's like I can't really latch onto too, too much. Obviously, these are pretty well-known actors. Chris Sabat, Patrick Seitz. Dio, um, you know, Colleen Clinkenbeard, Caitlin Glass, uh, Robert McCollin, uh, Monica Rioli, like, all of these are well-known voice actors. They're just performing roles that are more background. And um, But yeah, the one that stood out for me was Soccer Mom because she was so much fun, especially when she got dragged away from the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, that kind of led to a little bit of confusion in the way it was delivered because... Uh, Mariko's the one who says, we got a lot of people coming, come help your mom in the kitchen. Which led me, the first time I watched this, to think that Yumi was, uh, like, one of her daughters. But, no, I, the way that the script is worded out here, in-laws are basically treated with the same gravitas as uh, your actual uh, mother and father. Which makes sense, because, I mean, that's something that we do in Italian families, 
And in Japan, family is a big thing. So when you're married in, you, like, they're your family. Right, right. And it sounds like they have all interacted with each other enough. Like, obviously, you know, been long enough to have kids that there's not, like, it doesn't feel awkward or doesn't feel shoehorned in anymore. You know, it's very natural to have that name interaction. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll agree with you that while Chris... Patrick and Robert have very distinct voices. Like, you can hear, it's obviously Chris who's um, saying, um, um, we came here because a fire alarm went off, but when we got here, nothing was on fire. It's been like that all morning. It's like a very distinct voice. Or you've got Robert McCollum uh, on the EMT who picks up the phones like, Ambulance 5, Granny, how did you get this number? Yes, it, like they, they are very distinct personalities, and if there's something you can give these voice actors, you can always pick them apart. I mean, Chris Sabat, you should know him from many roles. Obviously, Zorro, he has a distinct voice. Patrick oh, yeah. Seitz has a distinct voice. Robert McCollum, they all have their very distinct vocal tones, and it works for these characters. Yeah, yeah, So, and they're supposed to be, like, there's a huge sense of like Japanese traditional family roles in in the sense that like you do your job really well for the better of society. So the fact that these guys are super devoted to their work, like even after Sakei dies, they're concerned about work, even though they're supposed to be, you know, taking time off for family reasons. And these three uh, kind of give off that very traditional sense of like, you know, supportive fathers and husbands who take good care of their family and the country as a whole. And I'm saluting to a Japanese flag right now. Mm-hmm. They, they do their job very well. I like their characters. I like their wives. I just, you know, they're not very... They're important in the film for several scenes, but their importance is not as important as some of the other characters. Hey, hey, hey now, are you telling me that going playing video games to save the world is not important? Because they, they actually say we're going to... Like, those 30 years of video games is going to come in handy as they take an axe, break down part of Oz to break into the fire water system to basically flood the living hell out of Love Machine. You tell that, me that's not That important. part was really cool, and I love how their avatars were their jobs, and I'm like, now I can recognize them. That <laughs> does help. Yeah, because design-wise, like character design-wise, they don't look too distinct from each other. Yeah, so like the, you could tell with the the way they do that. And and honestly, they, they had... A lot to do in helping save from love machine even though they were out on the job a lot of the time they were like saving the world and saving lives that's true let's let's not over let's not underestimate how important that is now as for as for the wives um yeah i'll agree um noriko and nana caitlin as uh, colin and clinkin colin clinkin beard and caitlin glass have distinct voices from each other like the first relative that we meet on our way from Tokyo to out in the country is Noriko, is the person we interact with. And she and st she starts to explain the entire legacy of the Jinuchi family about how they used to have a lot of money. They made a fortune in the silk industry. And like a couple generations ago, Grandpa like pissed it all away. <laughs> who, who would have thought that Luffy would care about history? <laughs> He just uh, wants to be the uh, the king of the... You're, again, you're going to give me a line from the show to go off of here, because all I know is I want to be king of the pirates. <laughs> wants to be king of the Jinuchis. <laughs> anyway. And 
uh, and as for Caitlin, um, she uh, each of these each of these housewives uh, feels like a very different kind of personality. Noriko is uh, like the more no nonsense level. Yumi is like you said the very enthusiastic soccer mom, and <laughs> Nana is like I said a little bit more the demure. I guess the sort of um, stereotypical Japanese housewife, and she has a daughter who looks just like her. So it kind of gives the sense that you know she's a very uh, very supportive and very necessary part of the family. And Caitlin, who is renowned for being like being very good at doing over the top, wild, and crazy voices, like she was Miria on Bacano. But this time, she, she you know she gets to do a more more laid back, lax personality. I'm I'm ashamed to say I don't really remember anything specifically about Nana like her dialogue aside from the fact that she seems to be the newest member of the family because when one character comes back the black sheep of the family comes back she does not know who he is because it had just been that long since he'd been here yeah I think she's like more of a recent marriage yeah so that and like I said different kinds of housewives for this huge family mm-hmm and let us not go by without giving high praise to Monica Rial for just absolutely blowing out of the water with Yumi, shouting at the screen, cheering him on, munching on a bag of cookies when she's nervous, all around, like, ideal peak aunt. Like, she almost reminds me of, like, I, my Aunt Mary in just enthusiastic personality. I love how she keeps throwing the megaphone and then picking it back up to shout. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of the stupid probe already. <laughs> so yeah like we said this is a huge group and they're all really good in supporting levels here but i think we should uh, move on because we've got another equally important group to talk about so we just talked about all of monsuke's family Mon- i'm sorry monsuku's uh children and their wives and he's got a bunch of grandkids too if you've watched this movie and you see a lot of l- little kids going everywhere Every one of the little kids is Monsaku's grandchild. He got busy. Oh, yeah. He he got around. And so did his sons, apparently. His sons got around. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, so we will talk about them. Um, Some of them are a little bit too young to get too much development, but we'll we'll still give a mention here. So the first three that we're going to talk about are all Yumi's children. We have Ryohei who is the baseball player. He is the one who, we, you know, is actually playing baseball. And he is voiced by Jason Lebrecht. And Jason Lebrecht, oh, I'm so glad we get to talk about Jason Lebrecht again, because, oh, boy, do I have words about Jason Lebrecht. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, uh, but he's, you, you've heard him in stuff like, um, he's the alien Yahakuzashunya, I'm sure I mispronounced that, from uh, Kado, the right answer. He's Hiroto in Orange. And for you old school fans out there, he is Train, the lead character in Black Cat. Uh, I don't younger... know any of those. <laughs> not, not for nothing, and I'll explain why in a bit. Um, okay, also we have Yuhei, uh, who is another uh, is a younger son, voiced by Brittany Karbowski. And Brittany uh, can pl- has played both boys and girls, actually. Um, for boys, uh, most prominently, she was Black Star in Soul Eater. Um, but she was also, very good as Black Star. I'll give her that. <laughs> she she was she had quite a lot of enthusiasm, um, equal enthusiasm in roles like Papika in Flip Flappers, and one that I put on here just for you, Zen, Karen in Gamers. 
<laughs> You're very welcome. I, I, she was one of the better parts of gamers. I love it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, there's also uh, a younger baby, um, Kyohei, but um, he doesn't have any dialogue and no credited voice actor. So we are not. We're just gonna move right on. Probably because right it's on. a baby. It just, I mean, I don't know why. Uh, moving on, uh, we have <laughs> Kana Jinouchi, who is Nana's daughter and looks just like her. Um, she's actually only two years old, but she gets a liner here, and she is voiced by Tia Ballard, who you have definitely heard as Eris in Cat Planet Cuties, Hajime in New Game, which it, which you have to see then because it is a fantastic lesbian love show. <laughs> but um, all you uh, fine folks out there probably know Tia best as Happy the Cat from Fairy Tale. I, I do remember uh, Happy, so yeah, Tia Ballard, good good job. <laughs> kind of hard to forget. All right, and then moving over, we have the last two who are Noriko's children. We have Shingo, who is, um, I, I know him best of the design. Uh, he's the little one with the blonde hair is the best way to describe him. And he's one of the ones who's jumping, um, calling, uh, Kyo, calling uh, Kenji a criminal, you're under arrest, criminal. He's exactly. one of points. <laughs> yep, and and the one who steals the remote too. <laughs> and who else could voice such a rapscallion but Allison Victorin, who was Cutie in Space Dandy, Hana in Barakamon, and um, I don't know Zenith. Have you heard of this um, this like obscure show called Case Closed? You know, in, is that the show where their faces are all very weird? <laughs> That would be a lot more specific than that. But um, <laughs> Allison happened to be in that show. She, she was the main character, Detective Conan, in that show. And yeah, lastly, I not, know. <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, we have um, Mao Jinouchi, who is uh, Noriko's other daughter, played by Cheremy Lee. Cheremy Lee has been around the block. She was Kyoka in Bungo Stray Dog. She was Lunar in My Bride is a Mermaid. And one line that I'm going to throw in just to piss off Jamal, she was best sailor, Sailor Venus, in Sailor Moon. The, That's the new not one. how you say Sailor Uranus. God damn it. Where is my helicopter? Where's my goddamn helicopter? Okay. Look, look, I'm all about the lesbian sailors. Then again, Mars and Jupiter are totally lesbians too, so. I can't argue with that. Like, like you could argue any of them, except maybe Sailor Venus. But Well, I guess Sailor Moon does have tuxedo mask so that kind of puts a wrench in that yeah but that, we're, not, we're not here to talk about that okay we're just here to talk about the kids so again <laughs> any any comments about these ones like i wanted to knock these off just because they they do get some funny scenes like we have um yuhei and shingo are the ones who are pestering kazuma during the their first encounter with love machine and like i said they're, they're also the ones who are basically pestering the hell out of kenji saying take him to jail <laughs> I I love how how uh, you know realistic little kids they are because little kids can be like nasty little shit sometimes and I love I love yeah. how, I love how how bratty they are so I I will give bad props to them for for both uh, being such wonderful uh, realistic children um, and I I forget much about uh, Ryohei because I know a lot of the time he spent. Um, playing baseball so yeah. I, can't, I can't recall the voice <laughs> yeah he has one line in in a tv interview where he's um just uh nervous about the upcoming tournament and it's such a jason lebrecht role where okay jason lebrecht has a tendency in everything i've heard him in to not really sound natural like he's the kind of 
performance where I don't buy it as uh, like a confident leading man, but I do buy it as a nervous, awkward teenager, uh, even though he's probably like in his 30s by this point. And so he pulls it off exceptionally well just by being his natural self in the one line he had in this movie. So. I mean, he's playing a baseball game. Obviously, he's going to be awkward and nervous. So that that works. Uh, honestly, these there's not too much I can say besides these kids are amazing and the rest of them, like, they, they're barely around. <laughs> That's true. So, but, like, can you agree that it helps to flesh out the, the large family dynamic that they were going for? Oh, yes, because, as as I've said before, large Italian family gatherings, having to sit at the kids' table, I know how kids can be. And yep. and I, I, I've seen this firsthand. They'll be like, can I see your PlayStation? I want to play, blah, 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 blah. Like, can I play with this? I want to do this. And I'm like, can't, can't. This is my stuff. Don't touch. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of goes to an extreme in this movie. Hey, is that your avatar? I want to play the giant killer rabbit who's going up against the monstrous AI. I'm going to uh, I'm going to interrupt you while you're fighting somebody and so you can get your ass kicked. <laughs> so yeah, um, for individual performance on this one, like I said, I set my piece on Jason. I, I love you, Jason, as a person, but just that quirk on... Yeah, I'm going to move on. Um, Brittany and Allison are the ones who get the most um, prominent parts because they, they work as a duo, basically, because they're about the same age. Um, I, I actually had a specific note on... I think it was... it Allison? Yeah, with Allison, uh, she's much more didactic, and in the delivery, she sounds less like a kid and more like... Um, she, um, like a very, very serious kid. And I like, cause you know, kids up to a certain age, like their dialogue, like their natural speaking dialogue is, you know, very juvenile. Uh, hers by contrast, like Shingo's dialogue is very serious. Like I'm running for office kind of voice. You but don't understand. I will take over the world. It, it, you're right. It kind of, it's like that. Like we, we've dipped back into like, the evil villains from Detective Conan all over again. <sighs> but but it is just as bratty. And same thing for Brittany. Like, Brittany's got such a distinct voice that I can pick her out even when she's playing a little kid. And this one's no different. But because of her natural speaking voice and just having that enthusiasm for being bratty, it fits perfectly well for you, hey, here. And Tia gets one line of key importance where they're watching everything going on with Sakai. And Sakei says, this isn't a computer problem, it's more like a war. And Tia turns to her and says, what's a war? And I half expected her her to say, can I have some fish? Right after that. Here, have some more squid. (laughs) I wanted a bite of that. Like, they were grilling it afterwards, and I've only had fish and squid in, like, calamari before. I've never had it grilled. I want to try it now. It, it, do, it does sound very good. Um, I mean, I like takoyaki. It, the texture kind of gets me, but squid is a very different texture that I like. Yeah. Um, and now I'm getting hungry. This is your fault. It, okay. Well, this is, remember they said, be sure to enjoy a meal with your family, because that is the best thing you can do. That is very true. <laughs> All right, we'll go get pizza after this, I promise. So, yeah, so everyone, like, no one stood out from what I'm getting. No one stood out as they did this wrong or that wasn't convincing at all or anything like that. 
So I think that little kid totally didn't sound like no, no. It sounded like a little kid. <laughs> I mean, we understand that no one's going to get actual children for recording in this. Uh, like they did have for the Japanese. Like I, I know that we don't do that in English, but in the Japanese, they did actually get uh, child actors for these rules. But for what we got here, yeah, it, that, wor- it worked that out. That two-year-old actor was paid handsomely. I, they you have no idea. Two-year-olds can make a fortune that their <laughs> that their parents will promptly take from them. I can buy and sell you, old man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about that. So we have gone through quite a bit of this family here. As you can tell from listening, this is a big family. We're ready to get into the meat of the show. Let's talk about. We're gonna go through. We have two groups left, people. The first we one have the sushi and we have the akiniku. Oh, fancy! <laughs> so for the first, the okay, the second to last group is going to be what I've dubbed the co-stars, the people that are not directly at the front of the poster, but are just as important in the development of the entire movie. So for those, we have, and by the way, none these three are none of them are related by blood. Interesting to note when we get into the discussion here. So the first one we have is Takashi Sakuma, who is the best friend of Kenji. We see him at the beginning. He's a fellow programmer on Oz, you know, just a fellow nerd. And he hangs out back in Tokyo, acting basically as reconnaissance and helping out with the fight against Love Machine. Very important, very necessary. We also have Wabisuke Jinouchi. Wabisuke, uh, we've been talking about a black sheep character throughout this entire podcast. That's Wabisuke. He is, not only is he um, much younger than the other characters. He's adopted. He's adopted. And he's also, um, I'm sorry if this is an insult to anyone out there, but he is a bastard. Because he is the child of Sakae's husband, but not by Sakae. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to put this in perspective... Um, Wabisuke is in his 40s. All the other three kids who we talked about at the beginning of this episode are in their late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Do the math as to what uh, Great Grandpa was getting up to back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wabisuke is also a person who moved to America and hasn't checked in in years, which yep. also puts kind of a target on his back. And uh, probably pros- prominently to the development of the computer problem, uh, he kind of, sort of, maybe, perhaps, built it. He built the Love yeah. Machine. First of all, Love Machine. I love that name. Um, but I'm such a love machine. He, he built Love Machine so, so he could sell it to the military to make lots of money to get the family back to the prominence that they once had. That's his entire reasoning, and unfortunately, he just doesn't get that money's not the important factor. Yeah, yeah, you know how they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Uh, he paved a lot of good intentions to get to hell. And so, yeah, he's responsible for what happens in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, so he, he's, uh, yeah, he's basically the closest thing we get to a human antagonist, but we'll discuss that a little bit more after we talk about... Sakei Jinouchi, who is the primary matriarch of the entire Jinouchi clan. She has lived 
she was born in 1920. She is 90 years old. She wields a spear. She's a badass. She is the one who is so badass that the other characters pour her beer while she's at the front of the table. That mm-hmm. is how badass she is. Not only that, she's the person who has connections everywhere. Exactly. Oh. Like, when stuff goes down, she makes hundreds of phone calls, calls in every single favor to every single person that she once uh, flirted with or knew, <laughs> and and she saves the day. This is the most badass granny in the existence of grannies. And she does it all with a rotary phone. And a heart condition. And a heart condition. You can't really do much better than that. So yeah, so really important. Honestly, like I know the the posters for the movie are going to put the teenage characters at the front. They really should have have like an alternative poster that had her at the beginning. <laughs> with the spear in one hand and the phone in the other. <laughs> with the rotary phone in another. And just like a, a flurry of Hanafuda tiles all around her. One of my favorite lines of hers is, On your feet and die like a man. That, that is very indicative of her personality. And she means it, too. So and th- say, that's, that's her to Wabiske. That, that is told to the guy himself. So, <laughs> voicing these characters, Takashi is voiced by everyone's favorite sidekick and His Highness Todd fucking Habercorn. <laughs> who played this uh, this I, I'm unknown role named Natsu in this unseen show called Fairy Tale. He plays Lindell, the high priest in Ancient Magus Bride, who's taking care of the dragons. And he plays, of course, Oberon in Sword Art Online. But luckily, this character is a lot more chill than any of those characters. Not, not quite as uh, <laughs> diabolical. Um, diabolical. Voicing- yeah. Voicing Wabiske, we have J. Michael Tatum, who has been around the block, been to know to do quite a few suave glasses-wearing characters. Um, you've heard him as Lawrence in Spice and Wolf. You've heard him as Kyoya in Oran High School Host Club, and you've heard him as Okabe in Steinsgate. And ah, uh, Tatum, the voice that you just want to fuck. Kyoya is sexy, okay? No, no, you're right. There's, like, people in this group can, people on this very podcast can vouch that um, sometimes the bad boys are just that alluring. Yeah, he is, he's very alluring. J. Michael Tatum is one of my favorite voice actors, and he is just as good in this role. (laughs) Beautiful. And speaking of beautiful, for Sake, we have Pam Dotri. It's a name that you may not have heard very much. But trust me, she has done quite a bit of work. She was Obaba in Ping Pong, the animation. She is Shinsen in Speed Grapher. And she is Lady Ofuku in Basilisk. So anytime you need a badass female older character in a dub, well, here you go. It's either so. her or Linda Young. Yep, yep, the two <laughs> of them kind of go back and forth. Um, my my thoughts on these, these all three's... They're just amazing. I mean, obviously, there's, these are well-known voice actors. Todd Habercorn is in a very different role than I've seen him in. Um, he's a lot more laid back and nerdy, mm-hmm. and I didn't recognize that it was Todd Habercorn in this role. Having seen this movie many times and seeing some of his other roles, like I, I expect him to be the more, um, like, 
subdued, bombastic, bombastic or subdued in Ancient Magus Bride. Um, but but like he he has a very good range, and he shows that here where you would not be able to recognize him. So very good job in the role, Tatum. His voice is sex. What else can I say? He makes the character so good. I, I, it's a, and there is an entire group of fangirls out there just crying because he's taken now. The man is taken. Polyamory is a thing if he's willing, but I'm just, whoa, 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 I'm just whoa, kidding. Whoa. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, and I'll agree that uh, this is definitely a more gentle flavor of Tatum. Um, even listing off some of the roles I've seen before. <laughs> flavor of Tatum. Uh, it, no, there is. There's an entire spectrum of Tatum. And this flavor is, uh, God, it's such an asshole with a heart of gold personality. Because like you said, his motivation in this movie is he's he's using his intelligence and his skill to create something that will probably destroy the world as we know it. But all in a desire to be recognized and beloved. Because you have to understand where his background came from actually his character background confused me a little bit at first because he's so much younger than the other characters and he refers to Sakai as granny so i thought that he was like in the same generation as natsuki or the other kids but no he he is technically the same generation as uh the direct kids like um like uh, mariko or Monske. but just because I, I guess when he got adopted that Sake was so much older, um, he just referred to her as Granny, and it's just a little bit easier that way. Yeah, it's it's probably easier, uh, especially because like he was very little when they when he was adopted. And yep. Um, on, on that note, their connection throughout this film is beautiful, and it wouldn't have been done without Pam Doherty and J. Michael Tatum, because as angry as you see uh, that Sake is at him for doing all of this she mm -hmm. still loves him and like she always says like have you been eating well you know have a good meal with family and she, he you know he has her birthday as the password on his phone and it's like they both care about each other and love each other they just kind of drifted apart and the letter that uh pam uh writes at the end and like narrates it's so yeah. beautiful and <clears throat> It's just one of those things where without the proper voice actor, you would not have the same level of emotional impact. And it's like, yeah, you could get, you could have gotten Linda Young, but I don't think, it, this isn't just a generic old woman voice. There's so much layers to her character um, mm -hmm. that she shows. And I think the best example is when she's having a, a game of Hanafuda against the main character. Mm -hmm. And... She can see that he likes her, and she knows at that point, like, that they're not actually dating, but she says, you know, I want you to take care of my daughter, and, like, she's stern, but also, like, loving and, and can see the connection between the two, and it's like, there is so much subtlety in this performance, in, in, in both Pam and Tatum, that it is some of my favorite parts of the movie. That is... Wow, you're right. That is really a kind of an emotional highlight there. I mean, showing a family as complex as this one, and I mean, just in terms of like the interlocking connection of how big the family is, having emotional depth like this too, 
I don't know exactly where the writer got this from, which I, I need to get props to the Japanese writer, Satoko Okundera. I'm sorry, I, I butchered that, but yeah, she's done a lot of really You're great too work. much of a, of Gaijin, a weeb. I, I know, I know, right? It, <laughs> hey, that's nothing. You see, the time when we did the uh, Anohana episode, I, I tried to pronounce the entire Japanese title. That was weeby. <laughs> but, but seriously, in terms of um, Satoko's uh, contribution to this, uh, the reason that this movie and Wolf Children, I think, are so good is because she has such a great grasp on family and especially young girls growing up um prominently after she finished wolf children she wrote the script for the live action kiki's delivery service movie oh my heart yeah my heart (laughs) so uh that level of emotion that she brought to this was definitely well translated in english by um the way that pam and uh todd played i'm sorry pam and j michael tatum played off of each other i'll get to todd in a second um really exemplified also by the scene where you see J. Michael Tatum's just crashes into the house. Like, his car got fucked up bad by trying to get back home so he quickly. He got back so quick, and it crashed, and he's like, Where's Granny? Where is she? Uh, and no, and, and he never breaks character. Like, it, it's it's high-pitched, it's, it's more spastic, but it's still the same person who was saying before, I'm looking at ladies with big boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I mean I can't fault him. I do love I do love good boobs, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. I mean, yep. God bless God bless God for them. God bless uh Mito-san for the boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we go back to the Food Wars episode, I swear to God. God bless America. <laughs> so yeah, so point being is that this is a very diff- not a very different, but an enjoyably different kind of voice that we usually get from J. Michael Tatum. So great job. And I do want to give props to Todd on this one, because this is also a different kind of voice that I get from Todd Habercorn. Now, I'm used to, um, like, the first time I heard Todd was many, many millennia ago. Sergeant Frog, which is a very hyperactive, pop culture reference kind of enthusiastic show. This is... Uh, it's a like Italia, kind of, but with frogs. Okay. <laughs> Don't, e- don't even mention Hitalia. We-, we worked hard to kill that show. Hitalia! No! Okay, my helicopter's leaving in 10 minutes, so we'll be wrapping this up in 10. Pasta! For, for, ta- for Todd Habercorn in this one, it's a very human kind of voice that... Um, it sounds very similar to what he sounds like when I, he's just talking normal. Like, I've heard him at panels or conventions where he's just speaking normally, and this is, like, nice and chill. But without losing any of the nerdy high school enthusiasm that he's supposed to bring. Like, near the beginning, he's talking about, hey, let's plan out the perfect summer. How about fireworks, watermelons, and girls? Perfect, huh? Nothing more perfect than girls. He's, he's getting close to the high school girls, all for me kind of personality. You know, that's something that I can agree with. Again, lesbian squad for life. I, you I have meant- to appreciate the body of cute girls. You, got it so good like you know like i'm in the girls are great camp but you've got a great body to go with it too it it just god god was not fair when he was passing out sexuality you know that uh give give me a few more years and a few more surgeries and you know (laughs) i I, i'm planning on doing some modeling sign i'm intrigued i would like to subscribe to your newsletter (laughs) so for yeah for these three there's a lot of um uh, of the plot that they help move forward. And again, 
we got the best of the best of Funimation. They did really well on all the performances. I don't have any qualms with them. I'm trying to think of anything else that was like, uh, could have worked better off of, but nope, they're, they filled the roles they need well. And I am glad that we have like, you know, one non-family member in the form of um, Toshiko, because Takashi, to uh, kind of give a break between the countryside and also what's going on back in Tokyo. So, mm -hmm. good job. And now it's time to talk about the main event, the characters that we are all here for, and I get to talk about my favorite character in the entire damn movie. All right, let's do this. All right, jumping in. By the way, if you've gotten this far into the episode and you're still listening in, thank you very much. The keyword to type into the comments to get the secret prize is... Lesbian. Yes, yes. I, I had another word, but I think lesbian is better. So, if you type lesbian in the comments, you win the prize. Yes, you get my... You get to see me again. Yay! <laughs> that's, a, that's a prize for the whole world. But, <laughs> all right, so our main trio. These are the three characters who are right at the front of the poster, have the biggest, uh, most prominent parts of the whole movie, do the most changing, and are... Uh, the most photogenic, I suppose, because we like our good-looking high school students at the beginning of our movies. And those three are Kazuma, who is, you know, he, he's a kind of a chill, antisocial kid on the computer when we first meet him, but nothing beats a badass bunny avatar who can kick your ass. That King, is King Kazuma. Kazuma. King Kazuma is my favorite character in the entire movie, because I relate to him so goddamn hard. He's basically me as a kid. Super awesome at gaming, studying kung fu. Like, <laughs> I mean, I studied karate, but still, like, you know, antisocial, um, beating everyone at the video game. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's not a game. It's a sport. It's not just a game anymore. No. <laughs> So, along with Kazuma, we have the lead girl who we've been talking about through this whole episode, who is Natsuki. Um, she is our go-getter character. She gets the ball rolling. Um, she's basically the girl who you all had a crush on back in high school. Because, and this is a, this is a free lesson for every girl who's listening out there. Guys like confidence. That is as sexy as you can get. And this character has got it in buckets, because as one character points out, this whole family is full of take-charge women, and Natsuki is about the take-chargiest of them all. She rushes in, she chooses one of the two nerds, and she says, Hey, which one of you wants to, to date me for a week? <laughs> and you know what? I mean, that's and sexy. No to that? She's yeah, cute, she's boisterous, she's like Mina, but with a little bit uh, less, uh, you know, bubbly. Um, like, she, she's just uh, wonderful. <laughs> Mina from Persona? My Hero Academia. Oh, that, okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I just I assumed that you were talking about either Persona or Final Fantasy, sorry. I mean, there's not really a close Persona equivalent because uh, Futaba is much more like Cosma, so. Okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. If someone confronts me on the street and says, hey, who's your favorite Persona character? I'll be able to say Futaba now. Well, Futaba is, is the best. She's also and the Splatoon, Splatoon chick. <laughs> that, that's a war for a whole other time period. <laughs> and then, last but not least, we have the math geek himself. Yes, this is a movie where math geeks win the day. So Math many... saves the world. It does, and it can only be saved by Kenji Koiso. It was just 
He's your average kid, but damn, he can do complex... Ar I don't even think it's arithmetic. Complex algorithms in his head. In his head. And he gets a nosebleed every time he thinks about Natsuki. Which, to be fair, so do most of us. I so mean... Moving! Okay, so, these three characters. So, for our voices, we've got a range of not only personality types, but also where they're from. I'll explain why in a second. Kazuma is voiced by Maxi Whitehead. And I want to point out that uh, Maxi Whitehead may be female, but Kazuma was voiced by a girl in the Japanese as well. So, because we've got a younger boy character, we need to give him a bit of a higher voice. You could either hire a teenager, or you could get the really talented Maxi Whitehead, who you've heard in other boy characters as Alphonse in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Chesla Mayer in Bakano, and Juzo in Tokyo Ghoul. Again, all male characters, all voiced by the illustrious Maxi Whitehead. And especially in Tokyo Ghoul, Maxi was amazing. That's where I first really learned of her uh, amazing range, and I'm like, and. Maxi, why are you so good? You're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's very good. And speaking of very good, Natsuki is voiced by Brina Palencia. I wonder who this could be. <laughs> Let's see. She's uh, you know, she's not a zombie in this one exactly, but uh, she has voiced uh, characters such as Holo in Spice and Wolf, Shirayuki in Snow White with the Red Hair, Juliet in Romeo X Juliet, and of course, Zen's favorite. Wait, what was the name of the character in uh, Zombieland Saga? Oh, you mean Lily? No, no, the um, no, she was the the main character in uh, Zombieland Saga. Oh God, I I totally am blanking on the name. So I was trying to think of a show that I know you've seen before. So yeah, she's the lead in Zombieland Saga. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my my favorite is Lily, but that's I'm biased. Uh, anyway, uh, she's basically everybody's waifus. She plays waifus. Holo. Like, yeah, she plays the seductive, illustrious and bubbly. Like she's she's played a lot of different roles. Yes, she has. And then to round it out, our lead character, Kenji, is voiced by, oddly enough, Michael Center Nicholas. And I'd be asking, why is that odd, Noah? Well, it's odd because Michael Center Nicholas works for the N a NYV Post. Um, who are operated out of both New York and California. Uh, he's not a Texas person, so they brought in a non-Texas actor for this. Um, but to list some things that he's done, he most recently was Taki in Your Name. He was uh, he was in one a couple of Funimation stuff, like uh, he was Satoshi in Eden of the East. Um, and in the, another recent film he's done for G-Kids, he was Kai, the lead character in Lou Over the Wall. He's also done quite a bit of uh, directing and writing as well. So the fact that we get to hear him in a prominent voice acting role here is always a welcome pace. So these three characters make the movie or break the movie. What do you think, Zen? They make the movie. Honestly, these... Like, I love the co-stars, but I love these two because they feel so genuine and human. And especially, like, to me, the standout is Maxi Whitehead as Cosma. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's just the humanity of it. Like, when he loses and goes to, uh, to, to Matsuku and he's just like, all right, let's, let's train and get this out and, and form a strategy. 
and it's like he started learning kung fu because he was being bullied and in he just wanted to find something that he was better at and the moves that he does as Cosma in the game is stuff that he learns in real life and just the the depth of his character is brought out by Maxi in this role I love it so much because she shows um, a, a little bit of the depression, the melancholy that he's going through, the standoffish nature, but also just his will, his his desire, his desire to be more important to his family and to be a a stronger person, and it really goes through because he's one of the major stars of the movie. He fights Love Machine on an even keel several different times, and it is so awesome. It's really amazing because, like, you see the way that he fights is not that he's using a joystick or he's not using game controls. He's using the entire keyboard to control his avatar in this. I don't, are there any games like that where a battle system is um, delegated like to Like an keyboard? MMO does that because they have hotkeys. Um, is that... Like, if, if you want to hotkey your attacks, like like one through nine on your keyboard would be different attacks and then w asd is your movement um and so is the down arrow so that actually does kind of make sense it, it's not as realistic as a you know like it they put dramatic flair to it but for mmos i could see this happening fair enough fair enough yeah because there there are parts of the the whole digital world here that I, they don't really bug me in terms of it being unrealistic because it's a fantasy. Like, this is an idealized version of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn and every website you've ever used all rolled into one. Snapchat and... Oh, yeah. I mean, if we could ever get to a point where you could communicate with people in different languages and it would auto-translate for you, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be an amazing feature. It would. So, so yeah, so Maxi really does hide the, um, I say hide, but like, it's not standout to me as a female voice. It really does feel like a very vulnerable young man who has a whole lot of emotions bubbling under. And there's a very smooth uh, voice as well, because most of your characters get very spastic or very over the top and annoying and uh, annoying in that family sense. But Maxi is like Kazuma is continuously calm, cool, and collected, in and, control, and, and, very and, much. And that's like a good compliment to the fact that, like, while he sounds in control, he's not always feeling in control. Right, right. And he ma he masks it in a way that your average teenager does with just blocking it and not letting it show. Except when he gets pissed off at his cousin for taking all the ice and just absolutely decks him in the face. God, that was so great to watch. That was so satisfying. It was so satisfying. Like, yes, I, I, Kung Fu pays off. I, I played that scene in slow motion, just watched like the turnaround, the interaction with the face, the follow through, the Shota going flying. Oh, such great animation. I give it a 10 out of 10 in Cousin Shota, you better learn. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so uh, high props <laughs> to Maxi. Brina is um, an amazing actress, and there's only one qualm I had with the entire dub, and it unfortunately falls under her, not about the acting itself. It's just the fact that her voice has more of a college student voice to it, um, 
She sounds a little bit older than her character is. Yeah, her character is supposed to be in high school. So, you know, your stereotypical high school voice doesn't quite match Brina's speaking voice. Um, but luckily she didn't try to, like, hide it by going to a higher pitch. Like, she didn't try to go squeakier higher. But it's the acting that counts. It's the enthusiasm. It's the, I get flustered when you're talking about my seer crush on my uncle. And it's the absolute bonanza way that she takes down Love Machine in a giant, super Hanafuda match. Like, it, like it's, it's uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! levels of crazy card games. Koi, koi! I love her transformation into the Fox Avatar. I'm like, oh my god, I want to look like that. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, I think the thing that really gets me about her acting is the emotional scenes when she's mm. crying and when she's like really bawling it out and and laying into uh, Wabiske. Like she shows a very different side of herself that I think really works for her. I think it she shows vulnerability really well. Um, which is, you know, something you wouldn't expect for someone so confident. And uh, you can see the gears turning behind her head if you watch it again, like why she's doing certain things. Um, mm -hmm. it just the voice acting brings it out. Certainly. That ugly cry at the scene where Sake, Sake died and she's absolutely loses her inhibition. That really did nail for me the strength of her performance. It's hard to do an ugly cry convincingly well. It's easy to do it cartoonishly and unconvincingly. It's really hard to do it and get you to tear up. Like, I cried at that scene. Did, did that bring a tear to your eye? I cried. Th then again, I have the help of hormones. Crying is a little bit easier for me these days. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> to put it in perspective for myself, I don't cry very often. Like, I, I have a hard time... It's not that I'm trying to hide emotions, it's just, you know, it's hard for something to get past the mental walls of don't cry, but mm -hmm. that got to me. Yeah, it, it, it got to me very much, <laughs> and... <laughs> Jennifer's over here like, you cried? You <laughs> bastard, you cried for a cartoon? It, it was, was very... very emotional, okay? It was, it was emotional, alright? Their grandma well, died. emotional, too. I'm so okay, but okay. Apparently, we need to turn my life into a cartoon, people. Let's get on that. You are a cartoon. I'm trying. I'm trying to do the get into the the second dimension kind of. But anyways, yes, full on Brina for for playing that scene up. There real yeah, there wasn't uh, wasn't a bad line in the in the script. So and then and now let's finish this off with a big send off to Kenji who. It's probably the the least interesting personality-wise. Like, can we all agree that he's supposed to be a self-insert for your average high school student, even for the director? He is essentially a, an audience fill-in. Like, he's you're supposed to be in the role of this character, your average, your average guy. Nothing really special about him, and he's brought into some crazy, wacky situation, and he gets all flustered. But I think what brings out the better part of him is the way he reacts to certain situations. I mean, obviously, you do have the cliche, like, him accidentally peeking on Natsuki in the bath, which, thank you for that. 
I mean, I mean, I do appreciate some good, some good fan service sometimes. Um, but I, I, I just love how flustered he gets. Uh, but when he really gets serious and the voice acting really brings across like, you know what, I need to, to buckle down, let's get this done. He puts his plan into motion. Um, and when he comforts uh, Natsuki, when Sakai dies, he's, you know, he doesn't quite know what to do, but he just hugs her and helps her out. And it's, there's just so much subtlety in the acting and, and the composition of the role that, yeah, he isn't a standout personality, but he's turned into a really awesome character. That's a good point. That's actually something I hadn't thought about, is that he goes from being a character who's not so sure of himself to really saving the day when it all, when the chips were down. Mm-hmm. He, and he it, has it a lot of character growth, and he got he to did, see some boobs. And, <laughs> and he, well, you know, he'll probably get to see more than that. He saved the goddamn world. I think he's going to get to see a little bit more at, later on. Cousin Shota objects. <laughs> I'll arrest your ass. <laughs> Okay, but uh, Michael's performance is uh, is standoutish to me because with this archetype, you expect a more s- a softer boy. You know, you expect a real um, I don't want to say a pansy, but someone who does a not... shy, laid back, reserved. Yeah, yeah, someone who's uh, reserved in the sense that they're afraid to be proactive for the fear that something will go wrong. But because Michael's natural acting is so spastic and um larger than life there's no such thing as shy in this one no he's you know he's soft but he's more spastic than he is shy there's no sense of complacency in either the serious or the scared moments Mm -hmm. um and because of the fact that he does not fear like i don't get the sense that he's a he's not afraid like he's nervous but he's not afraid Mm -hmm. which is why he can really like you know he can stand up to the family and say um, I agree. I agree that we should we should uh, band together and play a video game to defeat the evil computer monster. You're not a part of this family. And I, I love when he does the equation and continuously do, does it, and he's freaking out. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. And he puts it, like, the last question, like, ah, and he actually gets it. Like, you see the character growth through the voice acting, and it really does show. It, it, yeah, it's such it's so gratifying to see that. Like after, like after the math geek getting kind of worn down by the whole movie, he gets what what um what do they call it? In the terms the of TV big tropes, damn hero moment, the crowning moment of awesome. And so yeah, like he he gets to be a big damn hero. Granted, yeah, not yeah. Natsuki gets the best scene personally because she gets to be a fox. I want that she, avatar. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's why these three are grouped together. Kazuma gets the big battle scene. Uh, Natsuki gets the huge card battle, which I don't know how to play Hanafuda, but I kind of want to watch it now. I want to learn to play it now. And Koi Koi! <laughs> and Kenji gets the big math moment. So, we, we need more movies where the climax is solving math equations. Mm. I, no, nobody, nobody said there'd be math. <laughs> well, you're gonna learn some now. Yeah, you thought summer was about taking time off from school. Ha, you didn't see nothing yet. Well, there better be a six and a nine in those equations, okay? 
Oh my. <laughs> and with that, with the time we were looking at here, wow, we kept this all to just under two hours. Way to go, man. Way to go to the world. All right, Zeta, we are ready for final thoughts. You ready? Um, this is one of my favorite anime films of all time. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite anime films of all time. It is just... It's so well acted, it's so well directed, it is so well, uh, just everything is just so good. I cannot find a fault with it. To, no, no movie is perfect, but this is damn close. And uh, the dub is 100% perfect. Yeah, not everyone gets a huge role, and I don't have much to say about some of them, but they all fit. They all feel like someone I know in my family, especially when they're all like on their phones and stuff like helping with the Hanafuda and they're going koi koi and the DS. And... This feels like my family and the dub really brings it across. I give it 11 out of 10. It is perfect. Nice. That is high praise. See, put that on the back of the DVD box. Put and... it on a shirt. <laughs> So, uh, this year, I also watched the TV show Deno Coil, which is another uh, anime about virtual reality and how that interacts with our world, um, which was very heavy-handed in its commentary about how we interact with increasing technology and our dependence on it. Summer Wars is not that complex, but it shouldn't be, because this is fun and frivolous internet entertainment made in a time when the internet was, I think to a lot of us, still fun and frivolous. Like I said, this came out in 2011, before uh, Twitter got uh, much more dour and difficult to deal with, before YouTube started, de uh, started demonetizing all of our content, before all the stuff with the internet started to go sour. This is like a celebration of the best the internet has, bringing people together, uh, creating opportunities, getting to fight badass battles against super robot aliens. Having random people help you out in a, in, in a Hanafuda match. <laughs> it, it really was. It was like that that final scene where it was like 50 million people contributed their avatars to it was like a GoFundMe campaign for saving the world. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're going to watch a Hasoda film... I would point to this one as the most accessible for a newcomer because it's very, it's really evident of his time at Toei Animation where uh, you had to make things cool. There's a lot of cool in this movie, but it's got the heart of his solo career as well and definitely carries a lot of the emotion that families are difficult at times, pain in the mm -hmm. ass, sure, but valuable to a healthy relationship. And that's something that doesn't get emphasized a lot, especially talking about huge families like this. I give it all of the ears up, and I'm really hoping that more people discover this movie. Because um, with, with uh, Mirai, uh, Mamoru Hosoda's latest film, getting an Academy Award nomination, I really think that more people will be checking out his backlog. And I'm really hoping they come across this one and enjoy it. So. I think mm -hmm. we have covered the entire dub. All the characters. Yes, you didn't think we could do it, but we did it. We covered them all. If you want to watch this movie, because after you've heard all the spiel, how can you not want to watch it? Summer Wars is available on home video from Funimation on DVD and Blu-ray. And interestingly enough, for a film, it is streaming. 
yes, you can actually watch it legally on Funimation's website. Um, sign up right now if you don't already have an account. Um, there is a 30-day free trial if you would like to tr just sample it out. Um, you could cancel after that if you don't want to pay for it, but I believe that with the over 1 million minutes of content that they have and new episodes coming out every day of the week, why would you want to cancel the subscription? We it's don't get over 9,000. No, no, no. That's no, classified. No, we passed that a long time ago. We passed 9,000 a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's why we're here talking about Summer Wars, because we think more people should check it out. We also think you should check out our own work. Um, this is the Dub Talk Podcast. Currently, we have our YouTube channel, which you should be listening to on, unless we've uploaded this to um, third-party platforms, which we're working on, so that may be coming out soon. But um, we also have a Twitter, which is at Dub Talk Podcast. We have a Twitch stream, which we mostly use when we go to conventions and are playing together. And we have a Tumblr and an Instagram feed, I believe. So check those out. All of them are at Dub Talk Podcast. I would like to pass the microphone over to my good gal, Zenith. Would you please tell us about your solo work? Um, I do quite a few things. Uh, I do a bunch of different videos and stuff on YouTube at youtube.com slash zenithwillreview. I just performed a channel update. I'm, I'm structuring things around, but I do a bunch of podcasts talking about video games and TV shows. And, and I also stream over at uh, twitch.tv slash zenithwillrule. And I try to do quite a few times a week where we have some fun. We have uh, Marvel Spider-Man that we're finishing up. Uh, Pokemon days uh, every, every Monday. We play Pokemon, and on Fridays, I try to do Kingdom Hearts. Okay. And for myself, my name is Noah Clue, and I have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler. Uh, won't be able to update it for, well, haven't been able to for a while because of um, raising a family. Um, I'm actually having my third kid. Um, by the time this episode goes up, he will probably already be born, but as of recording this, it's still a month away. So by the time this comes out, Please go and congratulate me on my third and final child. And hashtag can... best dad. Hashtag you're going to totally name him Zenith, right? That Funny you ask that because as of the recording, we still haven't figured out the name yet. So that is a potential name. but Just just, just name him don't... Zenith. I, it's, I, it's the coolest name ever. Zenith, to... wait for it, clue. I'd be able to fit that into uh, maybe into the middle name somewhere, but uh, I have to get that past Jenny first. But anyways, if you want to congratulate me, do so at my Twitter feed, which is at Noah Clue. Love to discuss the world of animation, um, both the East and the West, old and new. Like I've, I've been search researching really old animation recently. Um, yeah, there's a lot out there that you've never even heard of. And with that, I believe we have concluded this Summer at the Movies episode. Woohoo! I'm Zenith Warrior Princess saying have a good one, guys. And this is Noah Clue saying aloha, and as always, otaku on, my friends. And just remember, always check to make sure that your program is not going to destroy the world. <laughs>